everybody. Welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King, and you're listening to the Photography Podcast dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. I know that all of you have full-time jobs, full-time families, but you bought that camera for a reason. So pack your gear, grab your camera, get out there, get a flat tire. It's time for a Photog Adventure of your own. It's episode 168, and we return with my friends Rhonda and Kirk. Welcome back, guys. Uh, first, Rhonda, how's it going? Uh, got a little bit of a cold going, but other than that, doing okay. Uh, bringing in the bringing in the enthusiasm right off the start with an uh, uh I'm kind of sick. <laughs> That's too bad, but thanks for still hanging with us, Kirk. How you doing, man? Um, doing great. I haven't had a cold in like a year and a half. Are you currently cold as you're shirtless in the studio? <laughs> Uh, well, that was supposed to be a secret just between you and me. But, oh, the machismo is too anyway. strong. I, I can't help but mention it. I could edit it out of the podcast if you truly like it, but right now everyone's picturing someone like the Old Spice commercial guy sitting there in a podcast with his sultry voice. Kurt Kyes, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome in. So today we are doing this to get you excited to get out to the Perseid meteor shower. We want you to go if you haven't because next year you might think, I'll just, I'll just do it next year, but the moon's going to be more in the way next year. The way that the meteor showers peak is always after midnight going into the early morning hours so if that's when the moon is in the way it will block out you know dozens and dozens of meteors that are just too faint to see but on a moonless night you see one to two every minute and have 60 to 100 plus an hour depending on where you're at well i don't want to give it away yet we'll we'll save that for later We'll come back and you will find out the precise nights that you should go out, or I should say mornings that you should be out there for the piece Perseid meteor shower. It's an awesome meteor shower, one of the best. Definitely a great year to do it. Don't wait for next year, do it this year. But before I get more formal into this episode, I have to say hello to Rhonda and Kirk from Aaron Martinez. I interviewed him on the last podcast. He wanted me to say hi to you last time we recorded, and I forgot to say hi, so I figured I'd say oh. hi now. Hmm. Hey. Aaron. Yeah. Yes. Hey, Aaron. Oh, you're not saying hey to me. You're saying hey to the other Aaron. Hey, well, Aaron that's, Martinez. That's because that's you're A.A. Ron. A, a, he's Aaron and I'm A.A. Ron. I, I can yeah, be okay sorry, with that. Yeah, sorry. That's just the way it ended up. I'm okay with that. I like that. A.A. Ron. Okay. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. No more of that. Let's give you the tips that you're looking for to get out for the Perseids. If nothing else, you're just going to be excited to go. So, Kirk, I'm going to let you lead us in this one. Carry on with the data and information that you're sharing from the MilkyWayPhotographers.com article that you'll be quoting. Yeah, so I've got a updated article for a 2021 Perseid meter shower that's going to be on the website probably by the time this uh, podcast gets released. So you can go there. It's MilkyWayPhotographers.com. Always remember that S. Yes. And uh, so this year, the Perseids, best as I can tell, the uh, peak of the shower should be, for North America, should be the evening of August 11th, which is a Wednesday, and into the morning of uh, August 12th, which is Thursday morning. Um, the peak is actually during the afternoon of uh, the 11th. So people in uh, Great Britain and Europe, you guys are all set. Oh. It should be during the night for you guys. But that said, Perseids are kind of known for being uh, 
you know, fairly common the night before and the night after the peak. Yep. So if you have bad weather for the peak, don't sweat it. Go out the night before. Go out the night after if you have uh, clear skies. Um, and like Aaron pointed out, there's going to be just a sliver of a moon. So my plan is maybe to uh, get my telephoto lens, do some crescent uh, moon shots as it's setting, and then switch over to a setup for doing Milky or um, meteor photography. So basically, if you've ever done uh, like star trails or done a time lapse at night, you're going to want to do the same kind of setup. You're going to want to have a uh, camera with manual settings, which probably most everyone listening to this podcast already has. Certainly, yeah. You want to have a, a nice tripod, something that's stable, that's not going to flip around on you in the middle of the night. Um, going to want to have generally a wider angle lens, but depending on the kind of photo you're wanting, you could have like a normal lens can be a good option. Um, if you have a, a fisheye lens, like a 15 millimeter Canon lens. You could put that on your camera and just point it straight up at the sky and capture most of the sky. That's always another option. And uh, so, like I said, the moon is going to be just a little crescent. And like Aaron said, go this year, not next year, because it's going to be a full moon next year during the Perseid showers. It's so an actual it's, full moon during that yeah, year? Yeah, <laughs> I think I looked it up and it's like the 11th or something like that. So that's pretty much going to blow out next year for the Perseids. Ugh. So don't don't postpone. Go out this year and don't wait. Oh, I'll just get it next year. No, you don't know what's going to happen <laughs> next year. Just go and do it this year. Yeah, and emphasis on the time lapse. If you have an intervalometer built into your camera and you know how to use it, you're way ahead of the game. My very first Perseid experience back in 2016, I took a camera that had an intervalometer that was an external. I mostly knew how to use it, and then I famously bumped the paddle because it's got one of those round paddles that go up, right, left, down, and you change all your settings from hours, minutes, and seconds You know, for mm -hmm. each setting. And as you're navigating from the right to left, going dot, dot, dot on the hour, okay, it flashes on the minute, dot, 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 flashes on the seconds, dot, dot, dot. Then it goes to the next setting. Now I'm changing the interval versus changing the shutter. When you're doing that, using that same paddle going to the right, you can accidentally tilt up just a little bit like I did and in in unfortunately set yourself up for a 99-hour exposure. <laughs> I, I let my shutter go for 99 hours, and I didn't know it. For some reason, when I was doing my test time lapses and it was clicking, clicking, I was checking, okay, good. And then I went and set it for my final, okay, here it goes. I'm going to go to sleep now. I'm going to turn this on for the time lapse. I hear it click the first time. I'm like, okay, good, it's clicking. I thought that I waited for two or three clicks, but I guess I didn't because all that happened was it actuated that first capture and then held it open for three and a half hours until my battery died. And I found <laughs> out the next morning I was so angry that I threw away that Velo intervalometer and I got Magic Lantern right there, downloaded it from the Galaxy Diner in... Uh, where was I in Hatch, Hatch, Utah, nearby Bryce Canyon, and uh -huh. I downloaded it so I could use that that night, and then that night wasn't the peak that it was the night before, and the moon was up for more of it, and it was so disappointing. I ended up with like seven meteors. They looked boring as ever. 
Oh, I was so sick to my stomach. So don't mess up your intervalometer. Right now, practice it. Take your camera out. Do a time lapse of your family having dinner. Do a time lapse of anything to make sure you know how to use that camera plus intervalometer. Don't waste into wait until you know August twelfth to go figure it out. Yeah, and that's that's always good advice. Practice in the daylight before you go out for something that's only going to happen once a year or maybe once every two years. You know, yeah. know your equipment. So that's that's great. A uh, great suggestion there. Sweet. Um, one other uh, piece of gear that you might want, oh, probably yeah. want, is a uh, lens warmer. Because especially if you're pointing your camera straight up at the sky, it's really easy to get condensation coming down and uh, mm. um, good point. Getting putting fog on your lens. Um, I was up at uh, St. Helens a couple weeks ago and set up the camera, and you know I purposely was trying to get a time lapse of the fog, meaning clouds coming in below St. Helens, mm. and it's like. Oh, it's not that bad. It's it's not that damp out. And it's like, <laughs> go back to the car, sleep for three hours, come back. And it's like, everything is just drenched in the entire time lapse. Oh, you know, just a couple frames in, I think it fogged up. So seriously, that was, bad. Yeah, it, it sucked. <laughs> so live and learn, right? Classic time lapse fail. I'm lucky yeah. in the desert. I don't have to think about dampness that much. So I never think about that. But those are pretty simple, right? Have you used the USB ones you find on Amazon where they just plug it into a USB power bank? And I, I have. I've got a uh, Protage um, lens warmer, which used to be probably the one that you always saw on Amazon a couple of years ago. Okay. I have one from a company called, uh, I think it's Kuwu or Wuku, W-O-O-C-O-O. <laughs> Okay. And that one's that one's a little wider than the Protage one, but it works nicely. And then I also picked up one from uh, Move Shoot Move. Uh, last time I ordered something from them, I just saw that they had uh, lens warmers, so I ordered one of those just to see what it was like. And it's got a little uh, adjuster for like high, medium, and low settings. And it's like, I I imagine I'm only ever going to have it on the high setting just in case. <laughs> I mean, why <laughs> risk having it on low and then finding out that wasn't enough? Right. So, um, and then I have another one that's pretty much like the move, shoot, move one with a adjustable uh, um, settings. And I don't remember what brand that is, but I just got that off of Amazon also this year. So, um, I don't know that there's any benefit to the uh, adjustable settings for those things. If it the one you're looking at comes with it. That's great. I'd say just run it on high all the time. Um, if you, the one you're looking at doesn't have that, don't sweat it. I don't think it's a, a feature that's really a feature that you need. So the lens warmer is what you need, not the setting setter gotcha. thing. So, well, back to the uh, Perseids. Um, I'm looking so, at the thing right now, the thing, the <clears throat> photo pills planner. And I'm just wanting to remind you guys with the nights that you're going to go out, say you go out the night of the 10th through the 11th morning, you're going to have meteors that occur and they're going to peak after, you know, midnight. And so when you look at the moon setting, the moon sets for me in my local area, let's see, Astro Twilight began, when did the moon set? The set actually during twilight period. So then the 
10th through the 11th morning is not going to be your big problem with the moon. The 11th through the 12th, the moon takes a little longer to set, but it sets by um, 10.35 here locally, and my peak isn't going to be until after midnight anyway. So that sliver of a moon, it can do a good job lighting your landscape that you're capturing with your lens wherever you're pointing if you're going to have some landscape in there, and you can light up that landscape and get an interesting shot and then just use that frame later to blend it in with all of your blended-in um, Perseid meteors. So what you're going to do most likely is a tripod stay in place blend, not a composite. It's going to be a time blend where you blend in different moments of time and just use lighten mode maybe or you just go through and paint them in with the mask and get 10, 20, 30 different meteors all in one shot. And then your third night that's an option is right after the peak where you stay on the out on the 12th and go into the morning of the 13th. And even here locally, my peak is still going to give me about, oh, what does it say I'm getting at this time? It looks like it's just shy of the peak the night before. So I'm probably still going to be anywhere between 50 to 70 meteors per hour still on the night of the 12th through the 13th, so the morning of the 13th. So plan around for, what is that, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, or I should say Thursday morning early on the 11th, thir uh, Wednesday morning early on the 11th, Thursday morning early on the 12th, and Friday morning early on the 13th. Those are the nights that you should make sure you're out. If you have work that morning, it's cool. Go out late, go out and do the shots, and then come into work. We've all done it before. <laughs> what were you going to yeah. say, Kirk? Um, well, the one thing about the Perseids is a lot of times you can see the Perseids all the way through the evening into the night because the uh, radiant for the Perseids is uh, far enough north and, uh, you know, a high enough uh, latitude. Above the horizon, that, basically. Yeah, it's it's pretty much above the horizon all night, all day. So uh -huh. that kind of sets the Perseids apart from a lot of other meteor showers where they may be, you know, like the Capricornids or the Leonids. That's another popular one in uh, December. They're all more near the celestial equator, so they're a little lower in latitude in the sky. And so they have to climb high enough into the sky to actually have most of the meteors coming towards us. And like you said, generally from midnight on into the start of morning is when you typically go look for meteors. But the Perseids, pretty much all night, once it gets dark, and especially because Perseids have a lot of bright, slow meteors, You'll probably be able to see some of those even before Ooh. it gets fully dark in Earth the grazers. evening. So, yeah, bolides, you know, the ones that leave trails. The green those, color. Uh, yeah, a lot of times there'll be a little color to them, maybe some smoke sometimes. Oh, um, you have a lot better chance of seeing a meteor like that from the Perseids than you do from other meteor showers. And so I mentioned uh, the radiant. That's the point in the sky where the meteors appear to radiate from so if you point your camera kind of towards the north or northeast and you collect the meteors coming out of the radiant as they're streaking away from the, the part of the sky that they're originating they all tend to point back towards the constellation perseus and it's like okay we all know he was a great hero but <laughs> do we actually know where it's at in the sky it's like i don't no. It's uh, looking it up. I see it's right next to Cassiopeia, which I know that constellation. It looks oh, yeah. like a the, giant W in the sky. <clears throat> the w in the sky. Yeah. 
So if you know where the Big Dipper is, you can follow the Big Dipper to the Little Dipper. And if you look at, you know, mid-evening, around midnight or earlier, Cassiopeia is going to be kind of straight east of the North Star uh, Polaris. And so the radiant is going to be just below the bottom stars of Cassiopeia, the, the left-hand side of the W. So that's the part of the sky where the meteors are appear to radiate from. But does that mean you should point your camera there? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. It all depends what kind of photo you want. And <laughs> I kind of divide it up into like three different looks of photos you can do for meteors. There's the, the radiant shot where you do include the radiant in your frame, either off to the side or in the middle of the frame. Um, that's one look that you can do. And then there's the uh, kind of the sideways streak shot where, uh, you know, the meteors are going perpendicular to where you're at relative to the radiant. So, you know, 90 degrees away from the radiant. It's kind of like if you think back to uh, any movie from like medieval times where there's like a battery of archers and they're all shooting arrows at, (laughs) you know, the hero Uh and the camera shoots towards the archers as they're all pulling their bows back and they, or uh, ancient Greek movies, take your pick, whichever uh, era you like. Game of Thrones, yeah. The archers all pull their bows back and they all release their arrows all at once. And there's always the shot of the arrows coming towards the camera. And it's like some go to the left, some go to the right, some go above, some go below. That's what you see when you're pointing towards the radiant. But then they always have the shot of, you know, the heroes, you know, all lined up with their uh, shields and stuff, all hunkered down behind their shields, and the arrows are coming at them sideways, and so the arrows streak diagonally behind them or in front of them, and so that's what I kind of call the, uh, the, uh, um, the, the, yeah, the streak view, I the guess. I view. couldn't think of a better, better <laughs> name than that, so... The- that's kind of your second option. View. So to get that kind of shot, you just kind of aim your camera 90 degrees from the radiant. So Cassiopeia, Perseus, they're going to be towards the northeast of wherever you're at on Earth at night. And so if you just kind of turn 90 degrees, that means your camera will either be pointing to the, um, let's see, that would be east, southeast. Well, yeah. <laughs> now I got to think of my compass uh, headings. A little, a little bit north of west, so that's what west northwest, and then a little bit south of east, so that would be south or east southeast. I don't know. I forget. It's I never totally actually clear graduated from scouts. I, I happen <laughs> to know there's an Eagle Scout on this podcast. So maybe yeah. he remembers his <laughs> compass designation. I know my um, cardinal directions, yeah. Okay. But do you know what the next division above uh, west is or the one just south of east? It's be east, southeast, and <laughs> west, northwest. What else are you calling it other than southeast and northwest? Um, I don't know. wanting to call it something different that I'm not thinking of? Just well, yeah, there's more divisions than just west, north, east, and south because then there's southwest. Uh, northwest, southeast, and northeast. And Precisely. then there's another division between that. 
between like northwest and oh, west. Oh boy, that I'm not remembering. I and I think it's west northwest. I was a Boy Scout. I wasn't a park oh, ranger. Come on. They didn't, didn't have GPS then. You had to you had to learn your dead reckoning, right? Oh, uh, we had Garmin's and stuff, but we didn't what? use them that often. We used a regular analog compass. It wasn't okay. like off of our phone or anything. But okay. basically, if you do look that direction and you capture a wide enough shot, you're going to get those streak views that you're going to get, and it can be a completely different, enjoyable view. So don't fret if your coolest landscape isn't towards the radiant. You're going to have meteors streaking all across your horizon at low areas of the horizon and high above you just it's going to be active all over the place so exactly and no probably regret. the one place you don't really want to point is just opposite direction of the radiant because most of the meteors are probably not be entering the earth's atmosphere in that direction they'll be either to the west or the east or to the northeast of where you're located so and then the third viewpoint that you can get is the what I call the all sky view. So you just take the widest lens you have, you put it on your camera and just point it straight up. Um, last year I was up by uh, Mount Hood at Trillium Lake. And uh, so I kind of tipped the camera. So the one corner of the frame had Mount Hood in it. And then a little bit of the lake across one edge of the frame. And then I let, let the, uh, the long end of the frame just go across the sky. And so I got the radiant in that, and I got the uh, a familiar landscape. Kind of has like a old Batman style camera angle because everything is all <laughs> cattywampus and not that's what along that means. The bottom okay. of the frame like you normally think of. But uh, <laughs> you're talking about like them scaling a roof or scaling a wall. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. You know, Batman and Robin are climbing up the outside, and you yep. know, some famous comedian opens the window and they chat with him for a minute. <laughs> that is that a kind scene of shot. I've seen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so those compass designations look like it's north north northeast northeast east northeast east east southeast southeast south southeast south totally clear now right it's totally, exactly that's that's what i was trying perfect to think sense. <laughs> so so then just i think in my experience i have enjoyed the big wide view to get as many as i possibly can but then it's never as exciting as i want it to be unless they all point in a really cool way Coming off the radiant is nice to get that all like different directions, but all kind of warping through the stars view. But you know, the meteors don't cooperate; they don't go uniformly. You're gonna have some no. that are completely tip tip vertical, and they're going straight down. You're like, how did that happen? And why is it ruining my uniform streaks in the sky? So just have fun with it. Keep the ones you want, and get rid of the ones you don't want. But it's just when you think about the exposure, though. I was taking mine with a regular capture because I was doing 20 seconds at the time. And now that I do 8 seconds and 13 seconds, I think I would favor my 13-second wide-angle camera lens so that I can have a longer amount of time for the streaks to occur in between each interval. What are you capturing for your shutter length? Anything that you want to say as advice for sh capturing tips versus just getting the nice exposure of the sky? Um. Well, just before we leave the uh, the viewpoints, oh, I would okay. also try to mention, uh, try to get something interesting in the foreground. Like I said, I had Mount Hood included in the corner of the frame, but uh, if you can, try to have, you know, either even just a outline of some cool looking trees or a building. Um, 
have something to kind of anchor your picture into the landscape instead of just having a, you know, all sky view of just stars and yes, I mean, it can be cool of just having a shot of the sky, mm, but not as much unless there's like, thousands. it might be cooler to have something on the landscape tied in and, uh, and for like the, uh, the streak viewpoint, that's something where you might want to consider using a, a longer lens, actually, like a 50 millimeter or a 35 millimeter. So they really um, are long in your view, in your view. Right. So you kind of magnify the view. The meteor hmm. streaks will look a little larger. That's that's one problem with using a fisheye is the meteors look super tiny. True. Good point. I mean, you'll capture more meteors because you're looking at more of the sky, but um, it's it doesn't seem to be as uh, exciting, it seems, in some of those pictures. They're just little teeny tiny streaks. And with the longer lenses, you'll probably see more of the color of the meteors because the Perseids a lot of times get like a green tint to them. And, uh, and maybe you'll capture some of the smoke with a longer lens because hopefully That's a you're great using tip. A, like a F1.4 lens or at least an F2 lens. Um, you'll be letting in a lot of light with a 50 millimeter F2 lens. Even that's, that's, it's a pretty good lens for uh, doing night photography with. So, yeah, that's a great tip to remember to try out your long lens. If you have two tripods and you just don't only have one wide and one long, shoot both of them, try the different angles. And I think now that you mentioned the long lens for the side, the, the streak views, I want to try that myself this year. I want to make sure I get that look as well. Because if you can get the smoke and you get the extra colors on the earth grazers, what a great shot that could be. Yeah. I think all in all, when it comes to foreground, if your image can be interesting without the meteors in it, then you've definitely got a great foreground and just have extra icing on the cake with some cool meteor action in the sky. Yeah, and, and if you happen to have a camera that does really good low-light uh, video, like, you know, the Sony A7S's or even the A7III's or I assume the uh, Nikon Z cameras, um, you might even want to try using that 50-millimeter lens and shooting some, like, uh, you know, 4K video for a little while. Hmm. If you happen to catch a, a good period in the shower where there are meteors coming through like every couple minutes or so, you might want to just try shooting some video because video of meteors looks amazing. It's like yeah, just yeah. the idea that you can shoot video of meteor showers nowadays is just <laughs> mind-blowing to me. So um, <laughs> it's it's really tempting to take one of my cameras out of a time lapse and just try to shoot some video of the stuff. but. Bring extra memory cards if you're going to do something like that. Oh, yeah. So. No kidding. 4K video. Absolutely yeah. awesome. Well, this is 40 minutes so far already, and we just what? talked about this part. So there's so much oh good God. information in there. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to miss anything else that you were still going to say, but Rhonda, have you had an experience actually doing any Perseid meteor shower capture or any meteor shower captures? Not that I went out to intentionally capture okay. you know, any of the meteor showers. But I do have a few uh, Milky Way images with some meteors floating through the image. How did yours turn just, out? Did you get one of those really good ones? Yeah, I mean, um, the church I did over in Kansas, I've got um, three or four shooting through the sky. And I think it just adds a little something extra to the image. Mm -hmm. Makes it really pop. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes. And it is going to be cool to see 
um, how many you can capture this year. So get out there, get your camera ready. Lots of memory card, lots of battery. Don't be a fool. It's going to be cold in some locations. And get a cool get a cool foreground. Kirk, any last words about the Perseid meter shower? I would just uh, think about uh, your uh, camera settings, like you were saying. Um, you could do anything from like 1,600 to 3,200. You don't really need to have um, super high ISO settings like you do for Milky Way sometimes because the meteors are like as bright as or brighter than the brightest stars in the sky. Um, the Perseids a lot of times can be like a minus three magnitude or brighter. And that's like brighter than Jupiter is in the, the mm -hmm. night sky a lot of times. Yeah. So, so you don't necessarily have to use a super high ISO. Um, you will want to have your lens either wide open or just maybe stop down a half a stop. If you only have a F2 or a F2.8 lens, go ahead and just leave it wide open to get that extra light in. But um, shutter speeds, like Rhonda was saying, the trick is getting the meteor to show up in your frame. And uh, the longer you have your shutter open, the more chance you're going to have that. So um, try out some different shutter speeds. Like Aaron was saying, he likes to shoot 13 seconds on your, uh, that your 24 on one millimeter. of my lens. No, my, uh, my 15 to 30 Tamron's my 13 second one on my 24 okay. millimeter. I go down to eight seconds. Okay. So, I would think about somewhere in that range, maybe add a few extra seconds because yeah. it's the meteors you're trying to capture and not <laughs> necessarily getting point stars per se. Yeah. You don't want to have giant streaks of the stars because that's just going to kind of look funky. <laughs> yeah. But maybe push on the longer end because you want to have the shutter open as long as possible. And if the shutter's closed and the camera's storing the image to memory, that's going to take a second or two. And so the longer the shutter is open, the more time you're going to have to capture a meteor. And uh, so just play around, check your histogram, kind of like with regular Milky Way stuff. You don't want the hump of the histogram to be getting too far to the center of the frame. You kind of want to keep it in the, uh, you know, the third over from the left side of the, uh, the edge of the histogram. Um, but, yeah, just set it up do a time lapse and then just like bring a lawn chair or a sleeping bag, bring warm clothes, bring layers um, and enjoy the show. Just yeah. make sure your uh, batteries uh, don't run out, bring extra batteries. Um, I mean, bring someone with you too, especially <laughs> if you have like a, a kid that, you know, that's never seen a meteor shower, get them and their parents to come out or bring your own kid just go out and watch the meteors because it's an awesome thing. Although I've been out with like three-year-olds during meteor showers and some of them get freaked out. So oh, wow, you really? might not want to do that, but <laughs> maybe when they're a little bit older so they can appreciate what they're seeing. Because, you know, the three-year-old's probably never going to remember it anyway. So exactly, exactly. three-year-old. It's one of the easier so. nights of Milky Way photography you'll ever do. And you just have... A time lapse running, and all you have to really worry about is letting it go. As long as it's working, you come home with a star trail. You come with a movie, time lapse movie. You come home with individual frames that you can use. Each one of them individual composition. Well, 
They call it positional change. But you'll have a different frame that you can just isolate and say, oh, I'm going to print this. I love it. And then in Photoshop, you blend all those meteors together and keep one of your star shots and foreground shots together. And you've got a nice blended time shot that captures 10, 20, 30, maybe 30 meteors in your shot. I Hopefully. hope you have a good enough lens for it. Yeah. Hopefully you get lucky and you, you capture that many uh, meteors. Um, some years, not so good. thing with uh, meteor showers is yep. no matter what they predict, it's never going to be what they say. So some years are better than others. Some years they say it's going to be great. Some years they're not so great. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You, the only way to know is to go out and uh, experience it for yourself. And if you're going to watch it, you might as well have some cameras running trying to capture it. Exactly. Final word on it is think about the meteor showers as bugs on a windshield. The Earth is orbiting the sun, <laughs> and we have comets that have left a, you know, a bunch of dust particles everywhere as they've orbited the sun. And the Earth is just driving through those dust particles. And every year, consistently, we hit the dust that came from, what is it, Hale-Bopp? Or what is Perseids? Perseids was... I think it was. Oh, it's a it's a comet, yeah. It's a it's a, a couple comets that we that create this trail, and we drive right through it and smash, 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 and there might be a thousand bugs, might be kind of a weak amount of bugs depending on where it's at. So, it's gonna be fun. Get out there, August eleventh morning, twelfth morning, thirteenth morning, early hours before sunrise on those mornings are the best. But go out all night because it can happen anytime. And when I said. It's better at the morning versus, you know, at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. You're still going to get 20 to 30 uh, an hour at that time. You're just not going to get the 80 or 100, depending on where you are at. So, yeah, hopefully. So, sweet. Thank you, Kirk, for all that information. If you guys want to reference the information that Kirk's talking about, check out the link below. With any luck, it'll be available for me to just link you right to it. It's an article over on MilkyWayPhotographers.com. Awesome. So, Rhonda. You have transitioned to mirrorless. If to, to try and explain your experience so far, let's just keep it simple with what's going well and what could be better. So let's start off with the positive. What's really going well that you're liking about the mirrorless transition? And tell us also what gear did you have before and what's your mirror, mirrorless that you have now? And then tell us what's going well. So I first started my Milky Way journey with the 6D and then moved into the 5D4. All Canon cameras? Yes, all Canon. Okay. Um, And now I've moved into the mirrorless R5. I still have my other DSLR bodies because I'm heavily invested in the Canon L-Glass. Oh, okay. So I didn't want to quite give it all up yet because I, I like having my backup camera. Yeah, that's the biggest question so, is do you get rid of your lenses and sell everything and buy new ones? So when you decided to go with the EOS R5, was it due to the lenses? Um, I wanted something a little bit smaller and a little bit lighter. And Why didn't you go with the Sony? Because I'm heavily invested in Canon. <laughs> so it is the lenses. So I'm hinting at it, but you haven't said it. You definitely yeah. kept it for the lens purposes, right? So how well yeah. do those lenses work with EOS R5? Because they do have a different mount. Right. I uh, got the adapter. Um, not the one with the drop-in filters, um, but I did get the Canon branded adapter. 
And okay. so far, all of the lenses that all glass works flawlessly on the R5. Oh, good. That's, um, that's what we want to know. I've been very, very impressed with it. Does it seem wonky or cumbersome or have a hard time auto-focusing when you do other type of photography? No. Um, I, I mean, it's been a really tra a smooth transition moving um, up to the, the mirrorless with the, the adapter. Okay. Um, the one, the one technicality that I've run into, and I just did double check this. Oh yeah. Um, when you're using some of non native Canon glass. So my, uh, nightscape Milky Way photography gear, um, is broken on. I've got the 14 millimeter SP, um, 1.4. And then I've got the 24 millimeter, I'm sorry, the SP 2.8. And the 24 millimeter 1.4, and when using those with the adapter, especially the 24 millimeter, I ran into the problem initially of getting the camera set up, and all of a sudden I can't take an image. The shutter won't release at all. So um, a quick workaround for that is is just to go into your custom menus to um, setting number four, and then drop down in and, and enable the release the shutter without the lens oh and um it, the rokinon is working perfect with it now so basically it needs to be fooled to say okay there's no lens on here don't worry release the shutter Correct. as usual and it goes for it because it just is not recognizing that lens huh yeah and that's that's the right. thing with sony's also is i have all my cameras set to release without a lens so i can use manual lenses on them oh, okay I do have it turned on so it won't release without a uh, memory card, just so I don't accidentally try to shoot a bunch of stuff without a memory card. So that's that's my recommendation is turn on the not shoot with no memory card and turn off the shoot with no lens. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, correct. And, and the Rokinons are manual focus lenses, so I'm assuming it's the um, connectivity and the communication between the lens and the camera okay. that it's not recognizing the lens because it is the manual focus, but it's a, it's an easy five second um, fix and it works great. So then that's something that has been actually turning out better and had a complication. Would you say that the process of capturing your images have become any more difficult with the mirrorless? Um, not really. Um, the other pro to this is when you're trying to review your image, and especially if you have other photographers that are around you, you hate turning on the back of the screen to sort of kind of check. You don't necessarily want to use a loop because then you might um, bump your camera, especially if you're doing multiple images and, and some stacking. Um, but if you put your eye up to the uh, viewfinder, you can review your images in body to sort of kind of check for things. Okay. Interesting. So then you are removing, say that again, because I got lost in that. If you didn't want to bump it with the Lumi loop, how are you checking it in body? You can just um, not quite put your eye up to your eyepiece. Oh, and so as you're looking through your viewfinder, you can actually review your, your images. So you're talking about that nice electronic viewfinder has some really mm -hmm. easy way of seeing how good the image looks. And yes. you've been able to depend on that. Okay. Gotcha. With, without lighting the area around me by, 
by turning on the uh, the LCD screen on the back of the camera and, and flipping through your images there. Right. That it's makes just sense. An, a nice, especially, you know, and then if you're shooting, you know, landscape during the day, um, bright sunlight, you have a hard time seeing the LCD screen on the back of your camera. So that's just an, an extra nice feature. I don't carry my loop with me as much. Um, my Hoodman loop, that was pretty much um, attached to my neck. Um, shooting with the regular DSLR cameras. So then what would you say you love the most about your mirrorless? Um, so the Canon bodies that I had before did not have the flip out screen. That has been mm -hmm. really nice, especially when you're looking at um, having your camera in a weird angle to where you might need to be laying on the ground um, or I'm vertically challenged at five foot three. So <laughs> I feel you pain. are, um, <laughs> you know, your, your camera's up a little bit higher. Um, you know, you can't um, always look through the viewfinder. So it's nice to be able to have that uh, screen that rotates um, to help get your composition set. Awesome. Anything else that you love about it that you would say, hey, um, if you're loving your Canon gear and you want to stay with it, you should go with the R5 because? Well, I'm still getting there. Um, with the, the horrible weather we've had, I have not wow. had a uh, huge amount of time to get out and play with it. And hopefully that will be um, discussed in an article, maybe towards the end of August, beginning of September. Are you putting up an article on MilkyWayPhotographers.com? Is that yes. what you're referring to? Oh, yes. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Um, comparing um, the 6D to the 5D4 to the, the Canon R5 um, using the L glass and just sort of kind of seeing what um, what you can pull out. So then what's terrible? What do you think uh, is a drawback to having this gear? Probably the fact that I have a really bad case of uh, gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> and I'm sitting here on Canon's website looking at some of the RF lenses the 15 to 35 28L um, lens looks pretty nice, and I might rent that and see how that one does. So you're getting excited about getting some uh, native lenses for this camera now? Yeah, um, and Rokinon's coming out with um, some RF lenses as well. So oh, it'll cool. be interesting to sort of see how they stack up with the, uh, the Canon line. Okay, right on. You're going to have to come back and tell us more how your Milky Way experiences go, but it sounds like anyone who's considering it who is thinking, okay, but I want to keep my lenses. Is this going to work with an adapter? The answer is wholehearted yes. It's absolutely going to work. There's no reason to hold off for lenses alone, right? Especially when you're looking at um, your special lenses that you're going to use for Milky Way. Um, you can get some really good quality glass um, a lot cheaper than the native lenses. And that goes for Sony as well. Okay. And and Nikon. Awesome. With the Rokinon. Well, then I know that my consideration for a Sony camera is for the benefits of the video. Have you played with the video? Is there any night performance that you would say you've had a noticeable difference? I mean, you haven't had enough experience out there with Milky Way yet to know probably, huh? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, hope, hopefully when I get out to New Mexico um, in the next week and a half, um, I'll have plenty of time to experiment and come back with a full report sweet looking forward to the article over there on milkywayphotographers.com too awesome kirk anything you want to add as a sony mirrorless user anything that we aren't considering that we should be asking whether or not the canon does x or 
Oh, no, the Canons sound like an awesome camera. Um, I've got a friend up here that's got a, a couple of the, I think the RP and I think the 5, R5. Um, they all seem awesome. I know Mary Beth has the uh, Nikon Zs. They seem awesome. Oh, yeah, the it's Nikon just, Zs. You just got to, awesome. you know, you just got to jump to the dark side because, you know, it is the way. <laughs> it so. is the way. <laughs> Well, the dark side is not Sony. They're all fantastic, and we'd all be lucky to have and own one of those. Absolutely. I think mirrorless uh, has so many advantages with the uh, electronic viewfinders and uh, just the extra sensitivity that the cameras have. You know, the, the live view in a Sony makes focusing on stars so much easier than trying to do it on a, a DSLR if you're doing night photography, I think that feature alone is enough that it should convince you to, to go mirrorless. Yeah, honestly, the live view, seeing the foreground too and making sure that you can put your composition where you want it is brilliant because it's like this little preview of you know seeing the terrain as if you'd captured a long exposure and you can tweak and move and balance out your foreground with your night sky. The only thing I've ever had trouble with is if you don't know your camera well enough, and you can't turn off your EVF where it's auto switching as soon as your hand goes back there with your Lumi Loop, or you don't know how to turn off your blinkies for all the you know focus point focus assist stuff. You're mm -hmm. gonna end up having to look at all these red dots that are pixelated and covered with painted on red, and it's hard to tell how big that star is getting or smaller. So you need to learn how to zoom in, learn how to see those stars clearly, and know when you've got it as tight as possible. And a lot of times it helps to get those blinkies and red lights off so that you can just see the color of the star and watch it go in in and out with size and it's just man i fully recommend the sony and the night view the vision the video the stuff that i could capture for the for youtube channel i'm excited to get three thousand dollars in debt for one of those cameras soon yeah so you should do it i'm going to i will i will definitely do it i say this in that kind of tone of voice because <laughs> i have all these other things i'm paying for right now yeah but yes mm. i will do it i can't wait i do have one question for Rhonda. yeah hit her Hit her with it. Have you uh, have you run into issues with uh, dust on the sensor yet? Or mm. I guess your camera actually closes the shutter when you change lenses, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not, even though I shoot a lot out in New Mexico, I've never been one that's had problems with sensor dust. Oh, good. Um, mm. I don't normally clean my sensors. Well, I DSL DSLRs, <laughs> you almost never have to clean sensors, it seems. But yeah. with my Sonys, it's like, Every time before I go out and shoot, I'll spend like 15 minutes taking pictures of uh, my computer monitor with a, a blank uh, Word uh, page open, shoot it out of focus, and then pop it into Lightroom, and then I scan the image to see how many dust spots there are, and I'll shoot it at uh, like F22 or F16 to make those spots the worst they would ever be, <laughs> and... Uh, and then I'll like clean the sensor. Almost always have to clean the sensor because there's always something there at that f-stop. Even though at night I'm only ever shooting at like f two eight at the worst. Right. But still, I just feel compelled. I have to clean that off. So uh, I haven't seen anything so far, and I have changed lenses um, a number of times with it. So um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. 
Mm-hmm. If I wind up with any dust. Awesome. This has definitely turned into a full length podcast instead of a shorter one. Can't keep <laughs> ourselves too short in brief as uh, Kirk and I both share the same tenacity for lo- being loquacious. So thank you. Yep. We are wordy, but we also had lots of good information in there. Thank you so much, Rhonda, for joining us. Thank you, Kirk, for putting all that information out. And just today, we'll just say, if you want to follow Kirk and Rhonda, pay attention to MilkyWayPhotographers.com. Find their articles and find their upcoming articles and links down below that'll be there in the future for you to find Kirk's Percy and Meteor articles. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for joining me tonight. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm working on getting 100 uh, followers on Instagram before I actually post anything. So Kirk <laughs> Kai's photo on Instagram. Give me a follow. Am I already I a, a follow? I am, right? Have I you, think you are. Have you come off of a uh, private so then people can actually see you? Or was it that you oh, didn't have any actual pictures before? I just don't have any pictures yet. So I'm waiting for 100 followers. It wasn't private. It was just empty. Yeah. So Kirk Kai's photo, all one word. And yep. Kai's is K-E-Y-E-S. Correct. And he has 80 followers. So we just need 20 of you good-natured souls to click on this and follow Kirk. And as soon as you do, this thing is going to blow up with amazing photos. In fact, It'll the Mount be so Hood, awesome, I'm the, sure. The Mount Hood images and your Neowise photo photo over oh, Mount Hood. Oh, the Neowise. That, that's going to be the first one up there. Is it? Okay, because that's going to be glorious. And yeah. your profile picture needs to update too. So let's get something in there. Come on. What? 20 more people. You just have a blank. Uh, I haven't filled in my up my profile picture yet. That's oh, what's okay. in here. So update that at 100 followers. We'll keep track of that. Next podcast, I'll hope to say that you have 200 followers, Kirk. Yeah, we'll do a running tally. <laughs> Let's do it. Thank you, Rhonda. What's your uh, Instagram so we can find you there since Kirk has mentioned his? Rhonda Pierce 67. Rhonda Pierce 67. And I would be a little ashamed if I haven't clicked follow on you yet I probably have <laughs> but there's a chance um follow back okay yep i have not yet following you now she has 510 as of right now awesome. 510 followers i watched that go from 509 to 510 and she has some really good thank windy you. shots from pharaohs what'd you say thank you oh yeah you're welcome sorry this is four years late <laughs> But it's happening now. And perhaps with my divorce all in the past, I'll be able to do something on my Instagram too. That'd be fantastic. So thanks again, everybody. Get out there for the Perseid Meteor Shower. Always remember that this podcast is dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. Have a good week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Am I safe to cough now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.